0: So if you go into your garden and you look at all the plants and you see some mildew or you see some other diseases that you might not know the name, but you see that they're there. Turns out the majority of the time, the thing you're looking at is completely different to any of the other pathogens you see in your garden, any other disease. And if you were to actually to take that disease and try and hit another plant with it, it wouldn't grow on it. And that's what we call non-host resistance. The observation that Most plants are resistant to most pathogens.
1: That was Matt Moskow, a group leader at the Sainsbury Labs in the UK. Today, he and Ralph Penstruga, a professor at Aachen University in Germany, are going to be telling us about non-host resistance on the MPMI Microgreens podcast. I'm Raka Mitra, and my co-host, Tess Diet and I aim to tell stories of plants, microbes, and the people who study them. If you've been following along, you'll know that the MPMI Journal launched a top 10 unanswered questions campaign at one of the meetings in Glasgow, Scotland.
2: One of these questions, and it's actually the question number six, was what's the molecular basis of non-host resistance?
1: Both Ralph and Matt have complementary expertise in the plant pathogen field.
2: My research
0: focuses on immunity in the grasses. Initially, we were, we were very much interested in, in really targeting one disease, so wheat stripe rust, and identifying sources of resistance. And, and ironically enough, that led to having to look at all the grasses when it comes to the evolution of immunity
2: over the last 100 million years. My research focus is on plant powdery mildew interactions at the genetic, cellular, and molecular level. And one of my research interests is Broad spectrum powdery mildew resistance. And this type of immunity shares many characteristics with non-host resistance to powdery mildew fungi.
1: So at the beginning of this episode, Matt gave a really nice basic introduction to non-host resistance. But if we're going to talk about it a little more deeply, we need to understand what the definition of non-host resistance is.
2: When we look into literature, we find that non-host resistance in the past has often defined as the ability of all genotypes of a plant species to confer resistance to all genotypes of a pathogen species.
1: But there are a lot of problems with using the term non-host resistance.
2: We criticize it very heavily, this term, because we feel it gives a wrong impression. It gives the impression as if there would be a mechanism in place that is able to repel or reject uh, certain pathogens, which are then the non-host pathogens um, while others, the adapted pathogens um, are not affected by the same mechanism. And uh, we try to explain that this is not true, that this is not the case There is only one immune system, if you like uh, to say in plants, and this immune system can either be effective and then um, a challenge, fails and then we have a non-host situation or it can be ineffective because a pathogen is able to overcome this immune system in a way and then it's an adapted pathogen and a compatible interaction but it's uh, it's one and the same immune response in the end
1: so ralph and matt had to write an article titled what is the molecular basis of non-host resistance while at the same time acknowledging that there is no unique molecular basis of non-host resistance
2: the title was more or less that was set it was given by the 10 questions and that was exactly the phrasing of the question there's this long ongoing debate uh, what is non-host resistance what is its molecular basis and if we would have this title then people would look at it so what is it um, actually and, and then we had the reader on our side and then we could tell him look there is no really special dedicated basis of non-host resistance. uh, And then we could develop our ideas about it.
0: I guess the second question to the title was, is the molecular basis any different than the plant immune system or are they effectively the same thing? And for the most part, the answer was yes. And then if it is the plant immune system, to what extent do the various components contribute and the existing literature that establishes that?
1: So in their article, Ralph and Matt point out a number of problems with thinking about non-host resistance the way we have in the past. I like to think of this as their top 10 ways to think about non-host resistance more carefully. Let's start with the definition.
2: Uh, of all genotypes of a of a, a plant species against all um, genotypes of a pestogen species, there are potential problems of this definition when you have a closer look at it. One problem is that it is virtually impossible to test all existing genetic variants of a given plant species against all existing genotypes of a pathogen species. So based on this definition, we could never claim that a a given host microbe interaction is a non-host interaction because uh, yeah, it is simply impossible to, to test all these constellations of all the genetic variants that are around in the wild.
1: Then there's the problem of thinking in absolutes.
2: The definition assumes black and white scenarios, so with resistance and susceptibility being the only outcomes. So, resistance defined as the absence of macroscopically visible disease symptoms, and susceptibility defined as the presence of macroscopically visible disease symptoms. But in reality, uh, it is not that easy. There's not only black and white, but there are many shades of gray in between, and uh, many. Uh, additional things that influence the outcome of the, of the plant microbe interactions.
1: Okay. So the definition as it stands is problematic. But what's the evidence that well-studied parts of the plant immune system actually play a role in non-host resistance? Let's turn to Matt.
0: Do nucleotide-binding leucine-rich repeat proteins play a role in non-host resistance? This is, of course, a prolific gene family in plants, having the nucleotide binding to ATP or ADP in a C terminal leucine repeat domain, and are the most common cytoplasmic immune receptors. And many R genes that have been cloned are encoded by this same class. We know that these proteins function through recognizing effectors. So we have the direct recognition where the LRR binds to the effector, uh, often in the leucine repeat region. There's also the guard-based model, wherein the NLR recognizes the molecular status of a host protein. That's the target of the effector. And through some modification of that, leads to that recognition and and subsequent signaling that leads to resistance. And of course, a recent model is the integrated decoy or integrated domain model, where the host protein is integrated within the NLR, either through an N or C-terminal fusion in a few rare cases, uh, integrated within the MB domain, and then leads to immunity.
1: So just to back up, in case that went a little fast, pathogens secrete proteins called effectors, and plants have resistance, or R genes, that encode proteins that either directly bind to the effector or recognize when the effector is doing its job. When an R protein recognizes a pathogen effector, it can cause the plant to rapidly kill off parts of its tissue, which prevents the pathogen from spreading to other areas. This is called the hypersensitive response, or HR.
0: What we do know, of course, is that there's a frequent occurrence of HR, the hypersensitive response, in non-host resistance. NLRs may play a more substantial role when a pathogen is more closely related to the adapted pathogen, whereas in non-adaptive pathogens that are much further away from the host-infecting pathogens, that PRRs may play a greater role.
1: PRR stands for Pattern Recognition Receptor, which recognize common parts of pathogens, like bacterial flagellin, and when triggered lead to a plant defense response. These are known to be involved in non-host resistance.
0: A good example that's come out recently was the identification of resistance genes to albigo candida, which is a causal agent of white rust in brassica species. And what they demonstrated was that NLRs were playing a role in immunity to albigo candida. And they did this by using a magic population where they could actually identify transgressive segregants that lacked the considerable resistance that's common in rhabdopsis to this pathogen. And so in the end, identifying multiple resistance genes against white rust. This has been demonstrated in other systems as well, particularly in oryzae, where the non-host status of different lineages is due to the presence of R genes that are, in this case, MBLRs they are conferring resistance.
1: Okay. So if R proteins, which recognize effectors, are important for non-host resistance, then I suppose effectors are too.
0: We know that uh, pathogen effectors are recognized by plants in many non-host interactions, and we also know of of some examples uh, that have shown that a single effector can determine the host or non-host status of of a pathogen. Perhaps this is a good time just to mention that unifying themes is a difficult thing, of course, because each plant pathogen constellation may have a different outcome as a result of the unique interaction of those two species. So
1: it seems that non-host resistance involves a lot of parts of the plant immune pathway that have been discovered
0: before. Well, the, the, the joke has been so far that, that my group is just cloning genes that were already cloned. Oh. But they're cool in okay. the outcomes as a result. But yeah. it, it's, so, when we talk about well, the one thing we found so far is when you look at these, these host range dynamics, the genes involved are genes that we already knew about, but they're recognizing completely different pathogens than, than what we originally knew them for. So, like MLA recognizing barley powdery mildew, and we find out it recognizes wheat stripe rust, and all, another allele also recognizes uh, rice blast. Recognizing completely different proteins, but by the same NLR, the same immune receptor.
1: I like that way of framing it. I feel like often my gut reaction is I want to discover something new. And if I get to a discovery and it's something old, I feel sad. It's (laughs) like not, it's not what I want it to be. And I like your framing that, well, actually, by going back to that, we're learning more about the immune system that we didn't know before. So if there is no specific mechanism, for non-host resistance. Why do you think the community voted it as one of the unanswered questions?
2: Mm, I think for two reasons. One is that many people still think there could be a dedicated mechanism for non-host resistance. And the second is because there is this great promise of applying this mechanism in agriculture.
0: The word we walk around is the word durability. Durability is a big discussion topic in our field particularly with rapid breakdown of many dominant R genes in diverse pathosystems. But the problem of course is testing durability is rare and it's challenging because that can only be done over many years. It takes a long time to be able to use the word if you're talking about 10 years, you have to then deploy it over a wide area. So you won't know if it's durable until afterwards. So having seen in nature that non-host resistance in the context of what we observe appears to be durable, at least as far as we can tell, I think that's always been a driving force for the fixation on this topic in particular. And then, of course, next question becomes whether we can engineer that.
1: If you were to reframe the question, instead of it being what is the molecular basis of non host resistance, what do you think the question should be?
2: That's a good question.
1: (laughs) You can think about it, take your time.
0: So, for me, I've always focused on evolution, and evolution in the context of both both plant and pathogen. And that's what's been driving my questions in this field. How does the interaction of plant pathogen and the the evolutionary pressure that occurs between both of those alter their host range dynamics? And what we see is that, of course, in these adapted systems, that drives the evolution of these two. But then how much and, and both in terms of degree of a, of a pressure over millions of years of interaction, it is hard to quantify and know. So I think what I've been appreciated a lot from our field, particularly in the drafting of this article, is just how little we know about particularly the pathogen side. And we suffer as scientists because we're reductionists and understanding these complex systems with little knowledge. For example, we look only at effectors and say, like, which pathogen can you tell me that we know all all the effectors in their host targets? Uh, I I mean, we don't. And probably most advanced are bacterial systems by virtue of the fact that they were the earliest uh, pathogens to be developed and also easier to work with than identifying the effectors based on type three secretion. So yeah, it, it, you start to recognize how even addressing the evolutionary question, we, we can't even explain now, let alone kind of the historical context of what's driving this. So I, that's always been what's drawn me to, the, to this field has been, or perhaps maybe with time I've appreciated more, the importance of understanding every, the entire set, sets of interactions that could occur from the evolutionary perspective. That's not a title. That's not a
1: title. No, I'm going to ask you to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I understand all the things you're saying. Yeah, I'm working through this. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's fine. Ralph's like preparing. He's like, I got this.
2: (laughs) I was thinking hard. Uh, Maybe I I would rather ask now what determines host range. Um, Because we know that most pathogens can not colonize a given plant species, but they can colonize other plant species. And why is that really? So it's interconnected to the question of non-host resistance, but uh, it goes a little bit in the direction what Matt just said. So if we know all these effectors, can we then predict what could be a host of this pathogen and why this would be a host of the pathogen? And can we predict why another plant would not be a host of this pathogen? And is it only the interaction and the match of an effector to its host target which determines this or are there other factors so i would ex- extend it even for a bit because for me the question of, of non-host resistance in my mind was already more or less clarified before we start writing this review but what determines host range uh, is still for me very puzzling and i don't have a clear concept for that
1: i love how matt and ralph are game to think about that question on the fly and to come up with something that might be better so maybe at the next meeting, we'll think a little bit more about host range and a little bit less about non-host resistance. You've been listening to MPMI Microcreens. I'm your host, Raka Mitra, along with Tess Thanks to Matt Moscow and Ralph Panstruga for taking the time for some great conversations. Also, thanks to Jean Harris and Ashley Carlin for keeping us going. In the next episode, we'll talk about how Ralph and Matt wrote a review together while living in different parts of the planet during a pandemic. Stay tuned.